0: Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. It would not be exaggerating uh, to, to describe the year 2020 as a year where the world became suffused in darkness. The darkness of the pandemic darkness of, of death, political conflict, racial conflict, such that, you know, all of the predictability that humanity kind of in, leans into in order to survive seems to have vanished just like that. And it's daunting. When Jesus was born, uh, the world was in similar kinds of turmoil. Uh, when Jesus was born, he was born, as I mentioned, at the beginning of the... Uh, at least the church celebrated his birth, I mentioned at the beginning of the service, uh, at the darkest time of year, because the, the thought was that the world was in a darkness that needed a great light and Messiah was going to be that light. Harkening back again to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, a light to shine before them. That's a pattern. That's just not an instance. That's a pattern. The darkest hour before the dawn. So our Advent theme this year comes from John 1 as well as the Nicene Creed. It says, through him, through him, all things were made. The word made there means uh, created and sustained. In other words, not just created, but created and sustained. It goes on. Paul says to the philosophers in Athens, he says, In him we live and move and have our being. And he's talking about Jesus. Can I suggest to us that even when he was a baby, in him we live and move and have our being. Even when he was a baby, in him, Mary lived and Joseph lived and moved and had their being. That's the mystery of incarnation that we're celebrating from now through Christmas, especially in this year of darkness. In the first century Israel into which Jesus was conceived and born, the predicaments there were, 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 were similar in that culture. What they were facing was not dissimilar to what we're facing right now. And I'm not going to stand here and develop all the parallels. That's been done for months past. But I do hope, I do hope that, that in this season of darkness, we can, as the church has for 2,000 years, anticipate together that God is going to blast us with light. It's coming. Elliot Tepper was here a few weeks ago. He did a a message on the quarantines of God. It was a prophetic game changer. You need to go back and hear that message online if you didn't hear it. So because we, we, we took time to hear what Elliot said, it happens that we're concluding our Sermon on the Mount series and beginning our Advent season on the same day. And to understand what God is saying I only want to read in conclusion to the, to the Masterclass series two verses from the Sermon on the Mount that sum up what, what Jesus says to us. And we're going to discover that the very principles that guided the, the characters in the Nativity story through to the first coming of Jesus. You see Christmas isn't just the way God did things. Christmas is the way God does things. Huh? That's, that's prophetic for this year. So the first scripture I want to read, it's a familiar to all of us. It's been adopted by our culture. We, we quote it all the time. We especially misuse it in order to avoid the consequences of what we've done, which is a misapplication of what Jesus is saying. It's from Matthew 7 and verses 1 and 2. You all know it. Judge not, lest you be judged. For with the measure, or for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, you, it will be, will be measured unto you. That's from the Sermon on the Mount. I would suspect not many in this room, or online watching and listening, not many of you have not heard that before. Usually we take that to mean that we're never supposed to judge anyone. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus is not saying that, but he is saying that we better be very, very, very careful when we begin to judge one another. Are you there? And so, like, for example, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, don't you know that you are to judge those within the church? Let me say that again. This is what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 5. Don't you know that you are to judge those within the church? We don't judge those who are in the world. We judge those who are in the church. How many quote that as much as we quote, judge not, lest you be judged? Huh? (laughs) Part of being a pastor, part of being a leader is to judge people at certain times, you know. It's To, have to be, in, be able to say in love, you can't do that. It's going to destroy you, you know. And, I, you know, I can't remember the number of times people have come back to me during those awkward moments and they said, you are so judgmental. And I said, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, if you count yourself a saint of the living God and part of this family, yeah, it's my job, you know. It's what I do, huh? And so uh, it's really interesting. Usually so we take this to mean we're never to judge anyone, but that's not true. The second saying of Jesus is probably the most quoted verse from the Sermon on the Mount from the Masterclass. It's popularly called the Golden Rule. Huh? Uh, you know, everybody knows it. It's, it's beyond the Scriptures. It's in our culture I'll tell you what, some form of this rule exists in every faith system that I'm aware of. All the way from Hinduism, through Islam, Confucianism, Buddhism. There's some form of this particular adage, but it's the scripture. In verse 12 of chapter 7, Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, you do also to them, for this is the law, And the prophets, it sums up the Torah, he says. And here Jesus is actually quoting from the Torah, the law, the book of Leviticus, where God says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. God says, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. So watch this, Jesus never, never, never said, do unto others as they have done unto you which is what we do. (laughs) Am I the only one who, you know, sees this, you know? As a matter of fact, the whole theme of the Sermon on the Mount is that we never seek to avenge ourselves. We kind of leave vengeance up to God. Paul says in Romans, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Okay, then. I want to take those two scriptures from the master class and look at them in the context of the Christmas story. Now, nowhere in Scripture is a situation as fraught with the capacity for misunderstanding, for conflict, for injustice, for disappointment, as it is in the nativity story. And I want to dial down on a couple of those instances, one particularly. I want to look at the internal conflict in Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, as he's forced, forced to come to judgment on his teen fiancé, Wow. So let's read together. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, and we're going to watch these two scriptures from the master class as these two scriptures play out in the Nativity story. I'll begin in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, this is verse 18, before they came together, that's sexually, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now the word found is an interesting word because it involves an element of surprise and discovery. She was discovered, which means someone did the discovering, right? And verse 19 implies that it was in fact her fiancé. But (coughs) he was more than a fiancé because betrothal under Jewish law was more than what we consider to be an engagement. It was deeper than that. There was the beginning of covenant. There was a ceremony. uh, There was a promise extended. And then there was a period of waiting. And there were all kinds of reasons for Jewish marriage to work that way. But it was more than just an an engagement. Verse 19. Joseph, her husband, being a, a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, literally to exhibit her before other people, shame her. What was the heart of Joseph on this? How is Joseph thinking? Joseph planned to send her away secretly. Now, it says that Joseph was righteous, but the word righteous here means that whatever Joseph's affection for Mary was, he could not ignore what the word of God says concerning her apparent adultery. Remember, when the angel appears to Mary, the angel says to Mary, look, behold, Your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant as well. Meaning, if you want confirmation on this prophetic moment, you need to go to the hill country of Judea. Well, she does that. And so she goes away, and she's away for three months, and then she comes back three months pregnant. Problem? Huh? Verse 20. And so when he had considered, and this word considered is strong, when he had pondered deeply, it means... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Who's supposed to behold there? Us. Huh? In other words, words, uh, Matthew here is saying, I want you to understand something. When he had pondered. One of the translations says, when he had considered deeply, pondered deeply her. Her. It's something about her. There's something in the way she walks. (laughs) Right? There's something about her when he pondered that. It was then that the angel came to her in a dream. Verse 20. And the angel said, Joseph, son of David. It's important that he addresses him as son of David because it's the tribe of David that's going to beget Messiah, right? So his position and station are important. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And then in a dream, now this isn't a dream. This isn't like Mary with the angel Gabriel. This is not like Zachariah with the angel Gabriel. It's not like that. It's a dream. All right. He says this. He says, the child, the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a lot to absorb in a dream time, to be able to make a decision regarding how I am to judge. Well, why why an angelic visitation in a dream? Like, why not the other way? That would be easier, wouldn't it? Where the angel could come and stomp on a few stars or bring a tornado along or do something to tell Joseph that this preposterous thing that's going to be done, that she's going to bear a child by God, is in fact truth. I believe it came in a dream because dreams, dreams are where our deepest conflicts are resolved. And it was in the midst of, of the angst of his dream life, the angel comes and addresses the anxiety of his dream. Anybody ever have an anxious dream? Especially these days, huh? Okay, verse 21, and she will bear a son. Remember, he's, he's, he's Joseph, son of David. He, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save, watch this, his people from the political situation in Judea at the time. Is that what he said? Huh? Oh, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will, save, uh, he will save you from Rome and from Israel and from Herod and from all the other crazy stuff going on in Israel at the time. No, But that was the anticipation of the Israelites on the part of the coming of Messiah. Are you there? Jesus' mission isn't to save us from our politics. It's not to save us from Rome, and it's not to save us from Herod, it's not to save us from Biden, and it's not to save us from Trump, and it's not to save us from all that stuff. His mission is to save us from sin. Huh? Not that that other stuff isn't important. Verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill was, was spoken by the Lord, through the prophet. Verse 23, behold, the virgin shall be with, 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 with child. I'm reading from the NASB here. And shall bear a son. And they, sh- they shall call his name Emmanuel. See, here's God with us. And it's interesting. Joseph has to name him Jesus, but they call his name Emmanuel. God, there's a recognition that God is with us in the person of Jesus. Verse 24. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary as his wife, which by the way cost him his reputation. Verse 25. But he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. All right. Joseph, who we are told is explicitly A righteous man, that's that word righteous, is now conscripted. He's drafted by God to have to to make a judgment on his teen fiance. She was probably 15 or 14, something like that. Probably not much more. He's drafted by God to have to do that. And righteous means that he looks to the scriptures for all of his sense of ethics and morality. So, for example, there's this third century book called the proto Evangelium of James. It's a a book that was written in the 3rd century describing Joseph's predicament. And in that book Joseph says, if I hide her sin then I'm forced to fight the law of the Lord. That's pretty much predicament, yeah? How, How do you follow out the Sermon on the Mount in the midst of this? So here's a question in all of this. Here's a question. Does Joseph's righteousness tell us anything more about how he understands his predicament and how he has to judge righteously. Well, he's betrothed in Judaism, as I said. That's a lot more than an engagement. And and it was a matter of faith which began the ceremony of covenant. So Joseph's perspective, watch. This is what Joseph thinks. We know that from, from, from his betrothal. Joseph's perspective is that Mary is God's choice for him. Wow. Here is a thought we should bear, and I want to extrapolate this. I want to elevate this into every one of our lives right now because it's the most ignored principle in the scriptures, I think, sometimes. And that's this God creates our relationships, God is the sustainer of our relationships. Joseph would have seen Mary as God's choice for him. And I've been conscious for a long time, really, boy, that I have, even beyond my marriage and my kids, there are relationships that God has given me. God created those relationships for me to steward. And I'm astounded. At the ease with which Christians, when threatened, when angry, when misunderstood, when disappointed, or in some way feeling uh, righteously outraged, trash relationships that they've had for years. Are, are you with me on this? That, but relationships that God was the one who forged in the first place. This is the Paul point of this Christmas message this morning. It's almost as if the relationship had nothing to do with God in the first place. they come and go. And then we wonder why lifelong friends are so hard to come by. Yeah? It's almost as if they exercise what I call a scorched earth policy in abdicating relationships. Man, walk away from marriages, walk away from marriages, walk away from friendship, walk away from kinship, walk away from covenants, walk away from families. <clears throat> and the, these relationships are routinely broken, and I wonder if when we meet Jesus face-to-face, he's just going to say to us, each of us, personally, our wives won't be there, our kids won't be there, nobody will be there but me and Jesus, and he's going to say, Grubby, how adequately did you really love? Huh? And now you've got to remember, um, it's Jesus I'm going to be talking to, I don't like that thought. (laughs) huh? I don't like that thought. And and I I make it part of my prayer life, part of my devotional life. I don't like that thought. Uh, So we have this hint then that Joseph's heart toward Mary is special, that it tells us what else righteousness is as we have to look at how he judges her. This apparent adultery, right? So... Deuteronomy 22 tells us that Mary should be stoned. Yeah? But there's a provision there. To to purge the evil, there could be a merciful, quiet divorce. The divorce had to be public, but the charges could remain. The charges could remain private. The Torah and Jesus himself also says, you will not take vengeance. You, You need to love. Jesus said, don't take vengeance, love. Right? So whatever you wish others would do, you do unto them. Now here's a thought. Joseph in betrothing, in betrothal, no doubt wished that Mary would love him. That was, do unto others as you wish they would do unto you. When Joseph was betrothed, he wished Mary would love him. Now apparently she doesn't. Now it's his turn. So here's an expanded definition of Righteousness. Righteousness is the applying of God's justice to another, however, in the light of God's love for that other one. Joseph is a true judge. Had to find a way to love her without disrespecting the word of God. And so his first choice is privacy, secrecy. Don't disgrace her, you know. Do the divorce at the cost of your reputation and let her go. Huh? Now, there's another immense, this is so big, this is really, really big, and only, uh, only scholars seem to discuss this. I never hear this discussed in sermons when Joseph is kind of working through what he's going to do with Mary. Uh, there, there's, there's some really great scholars that bring up bring up the issue because it's a legal issue as well, but you never hear it talked about And it's so obvious, so obvious, so obvious. What about the baby? Huh? I mean, the baby is the center of the problem. What about this human being? Huh? See, the understanding in Jewish law is that the child is a human being under the law. In the Old Testament prophets, it's now orphaned. And the orphans are under particular, particular regard from God. Huh? Vulnerable, right? What about the baby? You never hear that. So in judging Mary, judge, Joseph is also having to judge the baby. Huh? And so Jewish as well as Christian theology held that life begins at conception. The angel says to Joseph, the child who has been conceived in her, In in the ancient world, there were plenty of concoctions that could create miscarriages. There were lots of them. But but such a thought was thoroughly alien to Orthodox Jewish life and to the life of the early church. Are you with me on this? Here's a Christmas understanding that I've heard a number of times, and I'll, I'll bring it up, see if you can catch this. I've heard people say, I might have even said it myself, that Christmas is the, now watch this, feast, of the incarnation. And what they mean by that is that the birth of Jesus was the point at which God became one of us. But that's not what the scripture says. Are you there? We celebrate the incarnation at Christmas, at the birth of Christ. We it is the feast of the birth of Christ, right? But, but that's not the biblical understanding, nor has it been the understanding of the church for 2,000 years. The Feast of the Incarnation, sometimes, for those of you who are liturgical, called the Feast of the Annunciation, if you're Catholics, you probably remember that, Okay, occurs in Luke 1.38, when Mary says to the angel Gabriel, let it be done unto me according to your word. Incarnation. God, man, one. Huh? Conception. All right. Let it be done unto me according to your word. The moment was incarnation. God became man. And his human personhood began then. And the feast has been celebrated for centuries. The Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, all the Eastern Orthodox denominations, liturgical Protestant churches in March. Yeah, wiki, you know, do a wiki on it. It's in March. Nine months before December 25th the Feast of Incarnation, or the Feast of Annunciation, or the Feast, there's other uh, other names for it, it occurs nine months before. Isn't that fascinating? What about the baby? Isn't it interesting we forget about the dang baby, yeah? (laughs) This is is why the Nicene Creed's, uh, he was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. And this is one of the key biblical reasons among others, a lot of others, that we believe in the sanctity of the lives of the unborn. Huh? Yeah. So Joseph showed compassion and mercy uh, toward the mother and the unborn child. And Let me offer this definition of compassion. This is, this is my definition. Compassion is my willingness to enter the pain of another for the sake of God's love. So Joseph, in putting Mary away as discreetly as possible, showed mercy and compassion in two ways. Watch this. This is the technical part. Remember, all that Joseph knew is that Mary went to the hill country of Judea for three months, comes back pregnant. Three months pregnant. And Joseph made it possible, when he did what he did, and said, we're going to put her away secretly, he made it possible for Mary to be taken by the legitimate father of the child, whoever that might be. Now, he doesn't know the circumstances. He doesn't know what's going on here. But once he divorces her under Jewish law, the legitimate father could then take Mary and legitimize the child. So in judging Mary, he judged the child, and he just wanted to see her saved from disgrace and the child legitimized. That's judgment. Are are you following this? right out of the Sermon on this, right out of the Masterclass, right? He made it possible for the, ju- for, the, for the child to be legitimized by the Father, and we know that the legitimate Father was, in fact, our Father. Huh? He didn't know that. We knew that. So now this brings us to the whole point of my message this morning uh, regarding judging and judgment. There are times that we are conscripted to judge, that we have to judge. But watch this. When we judge others, and I hope that you can get this, because remember, it's when he pondered her that the angel came, right? In other words, when he deeply considered her in his sense of righteousness, honoring the word of God, that the angel came. What if, what if this is a principle? When we judge others with love, humility, and compassion, under the standard of God's word, we open the door to the supernatural. Huh? Yeah? Like it, it was after he pondered them, one, one translation says her, that the angel came to him in a dream. And I've seen the work over the years, I've seen it work over the years of ministry again and again and again, that when I love and I'm humble and compassionate, God words. God's word opens the door for something supernatural to happen that gets me out of the fix of having to judge someone in a way that I hate or is awkward. Are you there? I've watched the church judge suicide victims. I've watched the church judge divorce victims. I've watched the church judge victims of abortion. I've watched the church judge persons struggling with gender dysphoria. I've watched the church judge criminals and I've watched the church judge prisoners. And the problem is that not that the word of God wasn't being honored. We've got to honor the word of the Lord. But the problem is it's been done with the word of God intact, but devoid of humility, compassion, prayer, attention, any extension of the personhood of God toward the people of Judah. Now, that's not all the time. It's not all the time. But I've seen it happen again and again and again. Just recently a suicide victim ministering to her mother, watching as she struggled through the reasons for that. Am I at fault? Is she at fault? Is she is she in heaven? Is it possible? Is it what? You know, and all this judging is going on with very little pondering and very little prayer because we want easy answers to these things. Yeah? There. Do I agree with suicide? Absolutely not. Suicide is homicide. But it's not homicide like killing someone when you rob a bank. Are are you there? I mean, there there are these nuances and extensions that you see working out through Jesus' whole ministry. Isn't it interesting when he encounters the woman who's caught in adultery, you know, that he says to her, women, where, where are your accusers? And she says, none, Lord, save you. Because everybody else disappeared. But here's the truth. He was the only one who could really judge her. Yeah. And he just says, go, sin no more. Whoa. Wow. Yikes. See, Christmas is the way that God does things. I told this story probably here a number of times. So there came a time about 17 years of our marriage, I came home and Tricia said, we had three kids at the time. Nathan wasn't born yet. She said, I don't love you anymore. And I said, yes, you do. And <laughs> she said, She she asked, afterwards she asked me, how could you say that? I said, I just can't imagine anyone not loving me. Anyway, (laughs) so, so so anyway, she was persistent in this, okay? She, like, it wasn't like there was somebody else or anything like that. It was just like the way I was acting, she was having a Popeye moment, which I call, it's all I can stands, I can't stands no more. So anyway... You know, she's persisting. And my attitude is, well, let me help you pack your bags. You know, it was that kind of thing. And so we were going at it a little bit. Her mother, Joy, who's now gone to be with the Lord, at the time was probably about 70 or something like that. because She died in her 90s. She comes in and she looks right at me. And I'll tell you what, it wasn't prophecy, but it had all the directness of prophecy. She said to me, young man, you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord your God. And like something went through me. And I went upstairs and I began to pray. And I felt like this is what I heard the Lord say. Grubby, because that's what he calls me. He said, he said, who has more character, you or those two women? That wasn't what I heard God say. Who has more character, you or those two women? And I said, they do, because I believed that they did. And he said, go humble yourself. And so we went into counseling and all the rest is history. But, but, uh, and we never fight anymore. We just have doctrinal discussions. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, <coughs> I believe Mary displayed a character that launched Joseph into being able to believe in the context of a dream that this really was a child conceived of the Holy Spirit, the son of the living God. And, I, you know, we live in a, uh, a brand of Christianity that doesn't uh, adulate Mary or pray to her, that kind of stuff. But there was something special about the little girl that God chose to be the tabernacle of the king. Huh? Something really special. I hope to meet her. <laughs> so, Okay, Christmas is the way that God does things. And uh, what if, here's what I want us to, I want to pray into this just for a few minutes, and I want us this week to pray into this. If you're online, I want you to pray into this. Okay, what if the angelic visitation into Joseph's dream, what if the the hypodermic needle of the supernatural, what if that isn't just a one-off? Huh? What if that isn't just for then, at that time, in that circumstance? What if it's always available for us in relationships that have been abdicated and trashed? Huh? It is available to us today. What if there's an instance in which we have made, have had to make a righteous but difficult decision that severed a relationship? What if we now can exercise some kind of Joseph stuff, some kind of Joseph compassion? to see a relationship healed between now, coming out of this COVID, maybe even this Christmas, yeah? Families get together and what what if we ask God to put us in Joseph's shoes? What if we begin to ponder someone we used to love but don't love anymore again? Ask God to put us there. What if we begin to love again? What if we begin to pray for them again? What if, because we've forgotten about them and we've scorched the earth, Uh, 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 who knows that the Christmas angel might invade our dreams as well and restore a fractured relationship this new season as the people walking in darkness saw a great light. Would that be cool? Amen. I believe this is the word of the Lord. I believe there's a prophetic thrust on this. So lastly, our behavior toward others influences how God and others behave toward us. That's all over the New Testament, and we pretend it's not there (laughs) because it's too tough. I believe there's an anointing on what I'm saying here, so I'm going to ask us to pray for a second. Um, A Merry Christmas prayer. Um, Lord Jesus, I pray that strategic relationships that, that you created strategic relationships that you created and I abdicated would be restored somehow i pray that you would give me at least one key relationship or more but just one this christmas season that i can begin to pray into and watch the supernatural happen rose hitika ala release the holy spirit Ah, I release the Holy Spirit. I release the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. To those who are in their homes and online, listening in cars, I release the Holy Spirit into this sanctuary, Sanctuary Mukungi. Release the Holy Spirit that relationships would be resurrected, revivified in Jesus Christ's name. I hear the Lord saying, somebody Somebody had a really close friend, and it was the, the the friendship was based in a sports relationship of some kind. Sporting, I'm, I'm talking about sports. Um, and God is saying that that in the midst of the sport, that misunderstanding took place. I believe there was money involved. God is saying that that, that the the issue of that disappointment and that argument and that fight broke apart a strategic relationship that I yet have plans for, says the Lord. So if you'll begin to pray into that fracture, if you'll begin to pray, I'm I'm hearing the Lord say this to someone, I I believe it's somebody online. If you'll begin to pray into that fractured relationship, I'm going to send a supernatural path toward the restoration of that relationship and the fulfillment of my purposes in bringing you together, says the Lord. I, I believe there's a... a, a, a no, I'm hearing the Lord say that there's someone who is disappointed in the behavior of one of their children, um, and it's it's caused a fracture even though you love and even though you spend holidays together and do that kind of stuff. God says there's still an elephant in the in the relationship. And God says that... The fracture, you don't see it, but the fracture in that relationship is over the love of money. And so I I hear the Lord saying, if you'll, um, this is crazy, but what have I got to lose? Uh, I hear the Lord saying that if you'll take a dollar bill and walk across a bridge over running water and release the dollar bill, pray over the dollar bill, release the dollar bill after praying over it and praying over that individual, that child, that as the wind and the river or the wind and the stream take away the dollar bill somewhere else, that God is going to, to wash away and, 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 and float away in that individual a root, a key root of the love of money that's going to allow access to you with your child like you've not seen before. All this in the midst of intercession says the Lord. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. And I, I could go on forever. I do that stuff. If the musicians could come up. Father, um, if there's anybody here without you that doesn't know uh, your son Jesus, would you just give them a Christmas gift this morning? If you're that person or if you just never never really put a nail in the cross on a on the basis of, of your, or, or suggesting that, that you just want to give your life to Jesus Christ, We're to, you can do it right now. And this will be the first Christmas that you've ever celebrated in the way that you're going to celebrate it. So we all pray with me, and just uh, we can remind ourselves, when we prayed this for the first time Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong in my life, so many. But I ask you to forgive me and I receive forgiveness and I ask that you keep me in your path away from doing wrong. I ask that, Lord, you you apply your death on the cross to my life. Forgive me. Lord, set me free and I thank you for that gift of your spirit.